on Life Talks, we're beginning a new series. Uh, we're going to be looking at things that we do in church or things that happen in church, especially if you grew up in a church that you're going to say, why do we do that? Yeah. Why have, what, what's that about? Where'd that come from? What are we, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? So uh, today we're going to look at baptism. Yeah. So why baptism? How yeah, baptism? I mean, so what baptism? Do you, ever, do you ever wonder what it would be like? I mean, it's kind of like this if you've ever gone to another denomination or another faith system and you go to one of their church services and it's going to feel very awkward it might feel like well that's weird like uh, for yeah. example if you've grown up your entire life protestant or baptist and you go to a catholic service you're going to be like this is different or yeah. greek orthodox yeah. so There's... i went to a greek orthodox church okay. one time just uh the, a girl i was dating at the time she was taking greek and they wanted her to go to just some other service so i went to the service and the um priest, before he would come out, a guy would come out from the left side behind the stage, walk across the front. He would stop and he had a cross and he would do, you know, the cross yeah. up, down, side to side. But he would walk and he, as he went by, he would go, let us be attentive. And then the priest would walk out and give like a homily or something. And yeah. then that other guy, he would come out again and go, let us be attentive <laughs> every time. So, I mean, I, I would like for us to incorporate that at life. This was my, I mean, this was my way in public to ask that and bring it. Yeah, like, what is going on here? And so there's all these kinds of things that, and even people that maybe have never gone to church, you got to think about what do they think when they see this, mm -hmm. yeah. whether it's the music, the sermon, the baptism, the Lord's Supper, there's things that we don't even think twice about. Mm -hmm. We watch it, we see it, and then... We... But to the outsider looking in, it is, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, well, there's just things that just, well, why do you do that? Yeah. And I think it's good to understand why we do certain things. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to start doing this series is uh, one of the things that came out of the out of the survey that we did as a church was there's a lot of people that took the survey that would say, I've been baptized as an infant, but not, I haven't been baptized mm. by, with believer's baptism yeah. by immersion. And so I just thought it was important for us to say, okay, well, maybe, maybe that's something we need to discuss and talk about because obviously we as a church, we, we practice credo baptism by immersion and um, we believe in that. And, you know, maybe people are just like, well, what's the difference of whether I get sprinkled as a kid or yeah. dunked as an adult? What's, what's the difference? And so, or what, wh maybe your question is, well, why are there differences in how people baptize? Mm -hmm. So all of those are things that I think are important for us to, to think about. Yeah. And, and then at times, you know, you do hear pastors say baptism isn't what saves you. Absolutely. It's not. And so then you're like, well, then why do I need to, yes. to get baptized? And there are some people that believe that baptism does save you. Mm. So so there, there's all these beliefs and practices that it's important to understand. And none of these things came up out of like the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. All of them have been ancient practices that have been going on for millennia. And so you've got to get cut through all of the the layers of history and denominations and things that get to, okay, why do we do that? So anyways, so yeah, that's why we're having this conversation. Well, I'm excited to talk about it and hear about it. Um, do, I mean, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with with talking about the differences between the sprinkling and, and baptizing? Yeah, I think, we'll or... get, I think we'll get there. Yeah, okay. Oh, let's okay. just talk about a history. Okay. 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 So if you're wondering, like, question, for, I'll just throw this out to you. Where did baptism originate? If you're going to just, off the top of your mind, what do you think that you or the average Christian says like, well, this is where baptism comes from. I mean, I'm going to quickly jump to John baptizing right. Jesus. That makes the most sense. Yeah. That's the first time yeah. we see public baptism. Um, but most theologians would say, well, the, the it's not like John just came up with that idea. Mm -hmm. 
That idea comes from uh, the book of Leviticus, where the Levites did a ceremonial washing and as a symbol of purification hmm. of sin. And so we find that in Leviticus chapter 16. A lot of people say that John, you know, his dad was a priest, right? We know that. Yeah. He served in, in the temple. And what he was doing was bringing this practice of purification to the masses of saying, hey, this is a symbol of your repentance. Remember, John's message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so the idea of why would he bring baptism to the masses, there's a couple of reasons, but one of them was if it was only Levites that were being baptized, that were, I shouldn't say this, that were being having ceremonial washings, mm-hmm. why was he doing it? Because he was he was doing something new. Like That's the whole point is, there is a new voice in town. There's a, a silent period of 400 years between the last prophet of the Old Testament and John the Baptist, the first prophet of the new advent of, of uh, New Covenant. And he was bringing this message of repentance, and people recognize he is from God. He's doing something here. And so he brings this, this baptism of repentance on the scene, that, and Jesus is baptized, yeah. right? He identifies with what John is saying. And uh, so I think that's where we have to say that's where the biblical roots of baptism come from. We don't we don't know how many of Jesus' disciples were baptized. We would assume that um, at least Peter and James um, and John were because they they were one of the original and they were around the baptism of Jesus. Yeah. And they some of them were some of some of them were disciples of John before, right? So um, so there's some there's some there's some definitely overlapping between the baptism of Jesus and the baptism of John, but but the New Testament baptism that we see post-Jesus' resurrection is different than John's baptism, okay? So John did begin baptizing. It was a message of repentance, but Jesus comes and fulfills that message. He's the one that, you know, pays the penalty. He is the, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as John, as John declared. And when he leaves, we very famously, we know the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. You know, all authority has been given in heaven. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. All authority has been given uh, to me in heaven and earth. Go make disciples of all nations. And this is what he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. So there's this idea of making disciples is primary. And how do we make, I mean, disciples are made, how do we, how can we tell when a disciple is made? We can tell disciples made when they follow the Lord in baptism, that they identify with Jesus, and that they are following the teachings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So he gives very clear identifying markers of, well, this is what a, a, a uh, this is what a disciple does, and so um, Jesus gives this great commission of being baptized, making disciples, being being baptized, and then we see in the very next post Jesus event, which is the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes. It's 50 days after, right, the, the Passover. And this is after Jesus' ascension. And the Holy Spirit comes and, and says he the whole, there's a Holy Spirit baptism. It uses that word, mm-hmm. which means the Holy Spirit came upon them. And there's a speaking in tongues event uh, where people heard their own language being used by the apostles who had never been able to speak these languages before. And then there's a mass baptism 3000 people and then we just keep seeing these these moments of people making decisions and then it's followed by baptism a baptism of of identifying with the gospel with the message of Jesus Jesus of Nazareth 
And so you see this the, these mass baptism movements the first day of the day of Pentecost, and then there's another, uh, I think it's it's Acts chapter four and five, where there's some more people that are making decisions and more people are being baptized. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see after Stephen's after Stephen's martyrdom, you see priests coming to the faith and then being baptized. So there's always this pattern you're seeing in Scripture where there's an act of faith and repentance to follow Jesus, and after that declaration, there's a baptism. You see this in Acts chapter 8 when it's the, um, who's the guy, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, Yeah. right? He's reading the scripture, Philip comes alongside of him, tries to explain it to him, and then says, hey, well, what's preventing me from being baptized? And there's water right here, well, let's let's do it. So it's <laughs> it's almost like I'm identifying with what you're telling me about Jesus being the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, and I'm ready to identify as a follower of his. And so that's that's what we see. And then and then there's a there's one story that's a little confusing because you get into I shouldn't say confusing, but people are trying to figure out the baptism thing. Well, you have in Acts 19, John meets a group of disciples of John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just say John Paul meets John's disciples and they're like, "We've never even heard of the Holy Spirit." We have, but we identify with the message of John and he fully explains Jesus is the Messiah, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they get baptized. Not So it was like John's baptism was different than Jesus' baptism, and we see this pattern of once people accept Jesus, they are baptized. And that's the pattern not only through the history of the book of Acts, but we also see that explained um, in the letters as well as Paul's describing it. So, so baptism is this way of identifying with Jesus, and that's the biblical background of what we see. Okay, so if that's what the Bible teaches, why do we see? Why do we see? Uh, There's one other. Okay, so there's one other pass. There's one other story in the Book of Acts that where someone gets baptized. It's the baptism of Cornelius. Cornelius is the first Gentile that comes to know. uh, I I shouldn't say the first Gentile, but he's the first Gentile of prominence Mm -hmm. that that the Spirit of God comes upon and says, "The kingdom of God is for the Gentiles as well." And there's this whole story with Peter, and the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius, and after the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius as they receive salvation, he and it says he and his household are baptized. Now, most people that there's a whole line of argument of why we sprinkle and why we dunk, you yeah. know, the, the sprinklers and the dunkers. And there's some even some pourers, you know. Some people <laughs> pour. But primarily you see the what they call um pedo baptism. That's the pedo is the Greek word for infant or child. And then there's credo baptism. Credo is the is the Latin word for belief or faith. And so it's this idea of uh believer's baptism or infant baptism. And we see this, you know, promoted in our world today. So where did the biggest question is, where did infant baptism come from? Yeah. Because most people will will say, well, Infant baptism came from two things. If they're going to use the Bible, they're going to say it came from two major understandings of Scripture. One is, if baptism is the sign of the new covenant, right, like the new covenant in Christ, and so baptism is that outward sign of the inward belief. We teach that. That's what we see the pattern of in in Scripture. Well, in the Old Testament, the the Old Covenant had a sign. And the sign of the old covenant was circumcision. And when did you circumcise people? 
Well, infants, unless, Inf- unless infants. you're Joshua and then yeah. you're circumcising the entire nation when they came because across. Something, yeah. But, but most likely, you know, the yeah. law, the law yeah. of Moses stated that you would, you would, uh, circumcise them on the eighth day. Mm-hmm. And so that was the practice of the, of the Jewish people. And so some people would say, well, because that the, the circumcision is, is a sign of the old covenant, Baptism is a sign of the new covenant. It would make sense to baptize infants just like they used to circumcise infants. Okay, that's an interesting line of thinking. So it's an interesting line yeah, of thinking. Yeah. Um, the other line of thinking they have is well, well, the when it says Cornelius and his household were baptized, it must have included children, and therefore, it, but there's a huge assumption of that. Yeah, were the children infants, right? Or were they seven, eight, nine? We have no idea if Cornelius had infants or not. That's a big jump. Right? And it's a huge jump. It just says he and his household. That could mean, most likely it just meant the adults and the slaves in his household. Mm -hmm. Um, But but so so these are the these are arguments that we're having. And and so we're going to get into the nuances of those things because the other argument will people will say is especially people who are Catholic or um, more more Protestant, you know, Reformed Protestant will say, well, there's a there's a historical precedent of infant baptism, and there is, but it it, it was the, the let's just say this: the waters of infant baptism have always been a little murky. Mm-hmm. We know that that predominantly in the first century and a half after after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. That that credo immersion baptism was the predominant form of baptism, probably up until the fourth century. Yeah, that 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 was the majority practice of the early church. We do though see references to infant baptism even around the late second century by certain people, certain church fathers, like Irenaeus um, or Irenaeus, however you want to pronounce his name. But he was a he was a bishop of of Gaul, which is modern France, and he mentions uh, he alludes to infant baptism as you know something that the church has done. Tertullian, which is another uh, church father, references children being baptized, but his instruction is that people hold off on baptism as late as possible, and this is where this is where it. Again, why the waters get murky? Because history, so many times, our beliefs are based out of a reaction to what's going on around us. Okay, yeah. so th- there's 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 a number of reasons why people would baptize infants, and that that uh, one of those reasons was if you read a lot of church fathers, and you got to be really careful with church fathers, because people up until Augustine, who was the major theologian of the medieval times. He really set the stage for medieval theology. He, he was the greatest theologian that set the, the, the tone now uh, of the Catholic Church moving into the next thousand years, mm-hmm. right? But one of the things that we see within the what we call the patristic writings or the church fathers is they are all over the place with some theological stances. And so when I took a course on this and I've studied this, one of the things I would say is the church fathers are good for when, for where theology was being attacked. So they're amazing at the deity and the humanity of Jesus. I would not rest my entire theological 
beliefs on some of their other writings because they kind of delved into preference more than they just some of them believe in baptismal regeneration many of them believe that you can lose your salvation mm. they believe that there is a thing called you've heard of things called mortal sins they mm-hmm. there was a they they took that belief and a lot of it had to do with the the persecutions of the early church. So whenever there would arise a a great persecution of whether it's Diocletian or uh, Justinian or, or one of those other uh, Nero, and there would be people when when there was an intensified persecution and people were losing their faith or losing their jobs, there would be people that would fall away from the faith that would apostatize and say, well, "I'm not a Christian," right? And then what you what would you do with those people? Hmm. Were they really believers or were they not believers? Especially what were they if they had been baptized? And so there was this belief that you can commit a mortal sin, right? And so there was this debate on on what were the mortal sins. Well, you know, it was adultery and apostasy and and uh, I can't remember the whole list, but you know, there's a list of mortal sins. And so there was two things that happened. That's why I'm saying there's these external events that transpired that led to this practice of infant baptism. The one was, Many people, be, because they believed in in baptismal regeneration because of what they were taught, believe if you're not baptized, you're not really a believer. The infant mortality rate, most by most people's assumption or most people's, you know, what they say is about forty percent infant mortality rate. Oh yeah. And if yeah. you want to make sure that your child mm. was a, you know, that God would have mercy on your dying child. There's a reason why they would institute the practice of baptism for infants. Because if you believe that if someone wasn't baptized, they were going to hell, you want to make sure that you were baptized. Yeah. So that led to that led to that practice. The other, the other practice that it led to in the early church, and I would say when I say early church, the first 300 years or so, is you had this belief that you could lose your salvation. And once you lost your salvation, you couldn't get it back. You can only be baptized once. And so a lot of people delayed getting baptized until right before they died. Before right before they felt like I'm about to die, you got to baptize me. <laughs> Cuz you always know when that's going to happen. Because they were right? so <laughs> sca- they were so scared of apostatizing or yeah. doing something or or committing a mortal sin. And so again, it's when we hear that we're kind of like that sounds weird, but it was normal for them. Yeah. Okay? And so this normalcy of uh and so you had these these events, the persecution that people are trying. Well, I'm not going to get baptized in case it gives me it gives me wiggle room to apostatize <laughs> and then come back to Jesus, and then I can get baptized. You see how we end up. What this proves is that we're always looking for ways to manipulate the Bible and manipulate the gospel yeah. and manipulate God's standards, <laughs> manipulate the system to, to <laughs> our own conveniences. Yeah. Doesn't that make yeah, sense? No, absolutely. And I think we even see that in the church today at times. People, absolutely. people are afraid they're going to do something to lose their salvation. Yes. Do I even have it? Or yes. you know, It still exists. And so, so the practice is more about make sure I maintain a level of, of freedom and autonomy from God so that I'm not stuck. Yeah. So you already see the watering down of the faith in these moments. And the other, I know we're just getting to the end of our time, but what the last moment I would say that really formed the 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 doctrine of infant baptism was the conversion of Con- Constantine, mm, yeah. and and when he made church, he, he made church Christianity not just acceptable, but then it became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Well, then it became mandatory for everyone to get baptized, yeah. and it just started. You know, everyone's got to get. If everyone has to get baptized, 
it loses its significance because all of a sudden what you start seeing after Constantine is you see the merging of the state and the church. And when your citizenship is tied to your your faith and it's tied to baptism, it's it begins to lose its meaning. Yeah. If everybody has it, nobody has it. If everyone has to get baptized, it's it starts it stops to lose its significance as a religious and as a fit practice of worship. And so you see these practices being introduced that end up getting into the bloodstream of the church. And by that, once it gets in the bloodstream and it becomes a common practice because of these external forces, uh, and because, again, we here's one of the things, we, I just want to say this really quickly, before we like you know, hammer the early church and some of their practices being crazy or why would they start doing that, you have to remember how limited they were on having the scriptures. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm not saying they didn't have the scriptures, but the access that you and I have to mm-hmm. read and study the Bible the way we do was nothing like they had. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have one one Bible, one New Testament, or one portion of the New Testament per bishop over an entire city. And it was it was imp- it was imperative that you know everyone kind of got a chance to read it, but it was not like no one could study the Bible on their own the way we could today. Yeah. And so you can see how that was another factor of letting these kinds of practices just begin to take over and become of the the bloodstream of the church. And our next episode, we'll kind of take it from the early church, the the patristics, into Augustine, the medieval church, the Reformation, and to today. Yeah, and I definitely want to get into the imagery behind the baptism that we do today, the baptism by immersion. I'd love to, to know more about that. So anyway... That means you need to tune in next time time. to Life Talks. We'll continue the discussion on baptism. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well. So leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. Life Talks is a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit lifecharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.